Welcome to the Let's Talk Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Robert Smith, along with my co-host, Adam Stellman. And today, we'll be discussing our Week 7 matchup against the Los Angeles Chargers. Adam, Let's Talk Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, it's always more fun to, to do this coming off of a win, for sure. Uh, there were a couple of plays that I kind of wanted to look at when I went back and did my rewatch. A couple of uh, uh, Walker's runs, and then I wanted to look a little bit more at the defense and kind of see what it was that they had changed because we didn't get a lot of answers from Pete Carroll when he was asked. Still haven't. Uh, I, I, any of the news conferences he did this week, he's been asking you know, what's changed, and he he said <laughs> he said uh, nothing as far as scheme or personnel, just where we've got the guys going. I think is was the quote, which I. You know, not really sure what that means. Uh, you obviously went a little bit more in depth, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I mean that was that was a pretty pretty damn good game by the defense. The offense struggled a little bit, but we kind of talked about that. This is one of those games that you like to see because if one side of the team is is struggling, it's always nice to know that the other side can can come in and and kind of bolster that. Uh, and we haven't seen a lot of that this year from the defense. So uh, my biggest takeaway from last week was you know wow the, the defense showed up. Yeah, they did. Uh, like you said, I went back. My main question, and I think I said this in our reaction video, was the scheme change success? Was there personnel that were moved around? Did that cause success to happen? Was this a coaching thing or did the players step up and play? I'll say right away that the players definitely played better. I'm not going to put it all on the players. The coaches definitely get a little bit of credit, but they get credit not really for the reasons that you'd think. So what they were doing, the defensive line, traditionally in a 3-4 and in the way they were trying to play, so the ideal 3-4 for Clint Hurt system, is to have all three defensive linemen two-gapping. I talked about this in past podcasts. It's a lot of read and react. The defensive linemen are responsible for two gaps and moving to the right one depending on the blocking seam of the offense, the way the play moves, all of that plays into the decision that the defensive line is supposed to make. And then your linebackers rely on your defensive linemen to make the correct decisions to plug the correct gaps so that they can fill in the holes and clean up tackles. That's what wasn't happening up front. So what they did is our nose tackle, Brian Monet in this case, still two-gapped. He still engaged with that center, got his arms extended so he had space, watched both A-gaps and was able to determine which A-gap to go through depending on the play that was called. The difference is our defensive ends were lining up in a four technique before, as they should in a three, four. So they were head up on the tackles. And in this case, they were kind of playing an inside shade to that, that four tech. So really a lot of people call it a four I, I don't. They were playing a, a four tech with an inside shade. And the adjustment for those defensive ends were now they were lining up in a true three technique. They were lining up in that B gap. And that was the only gap that they were responsible for. What that does is it puts pressure on the outside linebackers. To set the edge. Yeah, yeah. The outside linebackers have to set the edge. They have to keep distance, engage with the blockers, keep distance so that they can read and react, shed the correct direction. Do they go cover that C gap? Do they push out wide to kick things back inside to inside linebackers that are coming over? They have to make those decisions. Boye Mafe did a great job of that. 
Daryl Taylor played less. He played more in pass rush situations, which is 100% where he should be playing right now. Borea Mafe did a good job of that on the edge. Uchenna Nuosu obviously did a good job. He's been playing well all year. So that's sort of how the changes worked. Our defensive ends were allowed to be essentially three technique defensive tackles. They control that guy. They get in there. They're mainly pocket collapsers instead of just run defenders. And I think that worked well with the personnel that we have. Another change that they made was they took Cody Barton off the field in passing situations. I think he played just under 40% of snaps and they brought another safety on the field. That safety was used, you know, kind of like a box safety, match up on tight ends, get a little more athleticism. This is where Jamal Adams would have played. I think right. this was the plan all along. That's why they only kept three middle linebackers on the squad. But when he went down injured, I think they tried to let the linebacker play that role instead of sticking with the big box safety that they had schemed for. So in a way, that is true to the scheme. I can't fault them for that. I applaud them for going back to what their scheme originally dictated. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the big, at the beginning of the year, I mean, obviously when, when Jamal went down, uh, the question was, what are we going to do to, uh, you know, I guess, cover for the, for that loss? Uh, and, and I think you're right. I, I think it, the, if you go back and look now, you say, okay, was the reason that we were looked like we were kind of lost on defense because we weren't, that wasn't the scheme that we had implemented during the off season. And it makes sense because if, if that was the case and now we are actually going back to that scheme that we'd implemented in the off season, it would make sense that they play, they were playing much better last week than they had the previous three weeks. Well, I don't think it's that simple because the scheme that they wanted was to have Jamal Adams, a box safety in there causing havoc doing what he does, but they had a traditional three, four front. What they did is they limited their defensive line by having them one gap. It puts more pressure on your linebackers. It forces your outside linebackers to play more disciplined, which limits their ability to rush the passer. Right. Now we had six sacks. They definitely got after the, the quarterback. There were a lot of things that went into that. This is just schematically what it does. So I have to give them half credit. And that half credit is because it's not the scheme that succeeded. They changed the scheme to make it succeed with the players, which is what they should have done. It's what I've been calling for all year. But that doesn't mean their original scheme is successful. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I guess that's that's where I'm kind of lost on it because I'm, I'm wondering if they were trying to cover for the loss of Jamal Adams. And I wondered if that took them out of what they wanted to do initially. And now they're going back to what they wanted to do initially, uh, which is kind of you know a toss up because you wonder because it doesn't seem like there's anybody that's that's on the defense that's going to be able to step into that Jamal Adams role. Um, but I mean, Ryan Neal obviously has done pretty well the last couple of weeks of covering tight ends and being that in-the-box safety. Uh, but he's not Jamal Adams. Yeah, and nobody really is. The, the difference is this isn't basketball. You can't scheme for one player. Right. So that's something they need to look at going forward. Our scheme is to have an in-the-box safety who's athletic, who matches up with tight ends, running backs out of the backfield, causes havoc on the blitz. Okay, well, you don't replace that player with a linebacker. Go find a safety who can do what you need him to do. That's all I got to say on that. And Ryan Neal stepped in, I think, pretty admirably, especially the last couple of weeks. Yes, I'm a, I'm a big Ryan Neal fan. 
I was calling for him actually to start there at the beginning of the year. Uh, obviously, injuries derailed that. But yeah, what I will say is Kobe Bryant is playing lights out. Yeah. There was a graphic that came up I saw probably on Twitter. I went and looked. It was somebody who put the rookie corners in. Yeah, uh, we're ranking them, yeah. Rank them verse, uh, based on like pro football focus grades. And Tariq Woolen was number one. And Kobe Bryant, I think, was four or five. So he was number four. Yeah, number he was number. I, I know what you're talking about. He was number four. Uh, but yeah, uh, Tariq Woolen, I think the only the only one graded above 85 uh, for rookie corners. Sauce Gardner was second. I think he was 81 or 82. And then I don't remember who the third guy was, but yeah, Kobe Bryant was uh, was number four on there with 77 point something. So yeah, yeah, they're doing real well. And the thing you got to keep in mind is Kobe Bryant's actually playing a new position. Yeah. A lot of people say, oh, you're a corner. You just got to cover people. Slot corner is completely different than playing on the edge. There's a whole lot of different techniques and different fundamentals you have to understand when you're reading coverages, when you're playing slot versus when you're playing on the edge and you know you have that out of bounds boundary line right there that you can use as an extra defender. Kobe Bryant is reading phenomenally. He's out there reading, reacting, doing everything he has to do. I love the growth that's happening in this player, and I can't wait to see that continue. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I, I loved Kobe coming out of the draft, obviously, and I, I really loved that we, we've we given him the opportunity to kind of grow in that. Uh, again, this week, obviously, with a couple more uh, guys coming back healthy, I'm hoping that he's still out there. I, I see no reason why he wouldn't be, but... You know, you never know uh, with with his coaching staff. Sometimes they they like to get a little cute. So hopefully he'll maintain that that slot corner spot and he'll still be out there for the majority of the snaps. Uh, but we know when uh, Coleman was healthy, he was taking snaps away from Kobe in that spot. Certainly, it it seems like Kobe's done enough to maintain the starting position there. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see this week. Um, and that's the other thing because um, we're we're going up against uh, the Chargers. It's possible that uh, that they have Keenan Allen back healthy. I think he's still questionable on the depth chart. He uh, he could be in that slot position, and who knows that they're they're wanting to uh, put a uh, a veteran out there with him, or they're going to let Kobe ride. Yeah, we'll see. I think you let Kobe Bryant take it and learn. It's either going to be in the fire, right, or he's going yeah. to rise above it and play amazing. So we'll see how that works. There is some news around the league that we should probably get to. And we'll do these real quick, but uh, I got to say, there's some news coming out with Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders uh, and how he's acting and being revered by the other NFL owners. Uh, Jim Ursay specifically has been public about his disdain or displeasure for Dan Snyder. Yeah, uh, he was an interesting one to come out. I mean, obviously, anybody knows anything about Ursay, he's, ha- he's had his own issues with uh with substance abuse and drinking um and so it's kind of funny when he was the one that kind of came out of the owners meeting and said you know we think we have the votes to to get dan out of here uh it was i was wondering if he was he was put out there by the ownership he's like hey everyone already knows <laughs> you're <laughs> all, all all your uh, skeletons so maybe you should be the one <laughs> to go out there and publicly challenge dan snyder i just thought it was an interesting interesting guy to, to be the one because he's not he he can be a fairly vocal owner, but he's definitely not one of those owners that typically goes in front of the media after these kind of things. I mean, you usually think about Jerry Jones or um, uh, why am I spacing on the Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, those guys. But uh, I did think it was <laughs> it, it, it was uh, 
it was an interesting comment and especially coming from Ursay. For those of you who don't know, there's been a lot of, we'll say, uh, accusations uh, coming out of the uh, the commanders, uh, or I, I'll just say Washington um, personnel. Um, you know, whether it be you know sexual harassment or uh, racist comments, uh, but certainly it, it seems like Dan Snyder has just kind of let everyone doesn't doesn't really care as long as business is being done, what his what his people are doing. I think you know there was an incident about you know cameras in the in the in the cheerleaders' locker room. Uh, certainly, the whole thing about not changing the uh, the commander's name initially uh, was was big news for a long time until they finally decided to go from you know the epithets to <laughs> uh, the Washington Football Team and now the Commanders. The, the, there's been calls to get Dan Snyder out of the league for a long time. I mean, this is an owner that doesn't really spend money on his team, doesn't spend money on his stadium, doesn't seem to care much about his players when it comes to upgrading his facilities. So uh, this is not new, but it does look like this may be coming to a head. Uh, there's an investigation still ongoing with the NFL. So uh, we'll see if and when that gets wrapped up and what the uh, what the final uh, judgment call on that is. I know they have that investigation going. They're kind of waiting till that news breaks in order to take any action. Uh, there's another set of owners meetings in December. So look for then for more information on this. But something else is there's kind of now news and rumors of a second set of books which now would actually cheat the nfl owners out of revenue sharing and that is one way to make nfl owners act these are all wealthy people who don't like you messing with their pocketbook and it looks like dan snyder's been doing that yeah there's there, there's a lot of things that they'll let slide uh certainly uh it you know there, there's been plenty of issues in the nfl with different teams over the years they don't the owners definitely don't uh, like people messing with their money Kind of like Al Capone getting taken down by a tax evasion, Th that would that would be seem to be the thing that would be the most likely to get him kicked out of the league. Yes, and my thoughts on Dan Snyder are basically he's a trash human being. I wouldn't have any interaction with him if I ever had the opportunity to do so. I can't stand the individual. He has supported racism in the past, and you all can fight me on this. But the former Washington team name was a racist nickname and he defended that to the last drop. So I'm going to move on because my blood is going to boil if I keep talking about <laughs> that particular trash human being on this podcast. Now we'll go to somebody in our division and that is one wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins is off of uh, the suspension list. So how do you think that's going to affect the NFC West going forward? I mean, you know, anytime you have a wide receiver of his caliber come back, um, it changes the dynamic on the field. I, I certainly would have been different, I think, if Marquise Brown had not gone down with injury. Um, he's now out, I think, looks like probably for the year. Hopkins is kind of just stepping in to take over what his role was before they traded for Brown, which is the target monster. Which is the only guy. Yeah, I mean, he, which, which is funny because they have had other wide receivers that have had some success uh, with him being out on suspension. But uh, certainly this last game, I, I think he had what, 12 targets? Yeah, over 10 receptions, over 100 yards. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's he just kind of stepping into that, you know, that number one target. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because they've, they've also now traded for 
uh, Robbie Anderson from the Carolina Panthers, who are apparently having a fire sale. Um, so Robbie Anderson kind of steps in. It looks like Robbie Anderson will step into what Marquise Brown's role would have been had he been on the field, which is that kind of deep threat. He's the fast big guy to kind of, you know, take the top off the defense, whereas Hopkins kind of spends more time on that underneath those underneath routes. Uh, he's more of a possession receiver and obviously in the red zone. So I don't know how much it really changes their offense. Um, other than they, you know, they're going to focus on a different guy than they were focusing on before. You know, instead of Brown getting all the targets, it's now going to be D Hop, um, and they'll probably be doing a lot more throwing, uh, like you know, shorter routes as opposed to going deep at Brown. Uh, speaking of the Panthers and their fire sale, uh, other big news coming out of the West, uh, the NFC West is Christian McCaffrey getting traded to the 49ers. This is an interesting move. I, I, I'm kind of two ways about this. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's an incredibly talented guy. Um, you know, when he's on the field, he is, I mean, he's just dynamic. I mean, he's a great receiver out of the backfield. He's obviously a pretty good runner. Kyle Shanahan's system uh, is a system that definitely caters to the running back. Uh, you know, they, they're big on outside zone running, which is kind of McCaffrey's bread and butter. He's not so much one of those guys that's going to be going through um, up the middle. Um, but I was a little bit shocked because... It seems like they're kind of going all in on a season where ostensibly their starting quarterback or their quarterback in the future is not going to be here. Uh, you know, that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be starting the rest of the season, you know, barring an injury to him. And they've had a lot of success with running backs that, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, name running backs. I mean, Jeff Wilson has been getting the job done. Uh, Tevin Coleman, I think, scored two touchdowns last week. They've still got uh, Trey Sermon, who's currently on IR, but he'll be coming back, and he was their lead back last year. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of this. I mean, Kyle Shanahan, that system isn't, you know, he's obviously, you know, coming from his dad's, the Mike Shanahan system, where it's, you know, it's just plug and play running back. You don't necessarily need a dynamic weapon. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of balance that with Debo kind of being that, another guy that can come out of the backfield but also catch so it might for, for, for my money i think it's just too many mouths to feed it allows them to have two swiss army knives on the field and that's kind of what it is i honestly always thought christian mccaffrey should have been a slot wide receiver in the nfl i think he would have had longer term success he'd have had a five to seven year longer career being a slot receiver than a running back they paid a hefty sum a two three four in this coming draft and a fifth next year for a guy who averages nine games a year on the field and they don't really have a lot of luck with keeping running back healthy that's that's been the thing that's that's kept the night hold held the the niners offense back they haven't been able to rely on a, a running back uh one running back all to be healthy all year and you know it, certainly christian mccaffrey has not shown that he's the guy to do that yeah, like I said, I'm just I'm just not sure. It's 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 an interesting move. It, it's one of those things that I think gets a lot of people talking because you've got a, an incredibly dynamic weapon going to an offense that's known for dynamic plays um, and certainly uh, can cater you know catering their offense around that run game. You know, Garoppolo's already taken them to an. Uh, a, I think the NFL uh, or the sorry the NFC Championship game twice. He's taken them to a Super Bowl. Uh, certainly, he's capable of leading a team when there's a lot of weapons on the field for him to go to. This this could be a boon for them. I, I mean, their defense has obviously been playing really well. They're going to get Bosa back sometime either this week or next week, uh, which is only going to help that defense that's already been playing really well. I think they're desperate. I think Shanahan is on the hot seat to tell you the truth, and they made this move to show their fans, hey, we're trying to win this. We're going to take it all the way. 
and they basically mortgaged their future to do it. And we will reap the rewards, maybe not this year, but in the next two or three years, the 49ers will definitely fall off a cliff. I mean, yeah, they're not they're not drafting till till day three. Uh, they, you know, they don't have anything in the first, second, third, or fourth rounds. So, look to them to be active in free agency. They're, well, they have much they have much cap space. McCaffrey's going to eat a big chunk of that right now. Um, yeah, but Garoppolo won't be there. Well, we'll see. Uh, he we'll seems see. to be like the best insurance policy for that that team. So I don't know. But speaking of transactions, the Seahawks only made a few minor transactions this week. They had a bunch of guys in for workouts. They only had a few transactions. For the practice squad, they released Kevin Cassis, wide receiver, and they signed wide receiver Aesop Winston. And that's it. Those are all the transactions the Seahawks made this week. Now, our injury report is a little bigger than we wanted to see going into this week. Corner Isaiah Dunn is out. He's been playing special teams for us, hasn't factored in much on the defense. Doubtful, we have Gabe Jackson. That could hurt that offensive line and Artie Burns. And then our questionable guys are corner Sidney Jones. And this is the one that we really need to watch for, wide receiver Tyler Lockett, who did not practice all week, but they say he's questionable to play on Sunday. Yeah, certainly being without Tyler is gonna be a big deal. We saw both uh, Eskridge and uh, Goodwin step up last week when we weren't able to get Lockett and DK really involved in the offense. That gives me a little bit more confidence if if Tyler's not able to go. My guess is he's gonna be able to go. Uh, for me, the big the big thing is obviously if he's questionable or in a limited role, he's not gonna be out there returning punts, uh, which makes me happy. Yeah, I understand your point. I would still love to see him out there, but you're right. Seeing some of the guys step up kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off. All right, now we're gonna shift over to our keys to success for this game against the Chargers. Our number one key to success for the defense at least, is to limit Austin Eckler. Uh, I mean, he has been the number one weapon on that offense. Obviously, Keenan Allen's been out, uh, which we talked a little bit about before, uh, but Eckler has been the driving force in that offense. I mean, he, he has been for a while, but he's still kind of the engine. Uh, you know, if he gets going, they, they've been a pretty tough offense to stop. Eckler is one of those guys, if he, get, if he gets loose, I mean, he can take any run, any pass to the house. Uh, so yeah, limiting him is going to be, I think, the defense's number one job. I completely agree. Our second key to success is we need to put pressure on Justin Herbert. Yeah, we, we know our, I think our, our sacks have kind of tapered off over the last couple of games. Obviously, last game, uh, we'll hope, hope that that's not an anomaly and that's something to build off this week. Uh, you know, because if the defense can do what they did last week, uh, I think we've got a pretty good shot at winning this game. Yeah, that sacks, pressures, hits. We need to be collapsing that pocket. Another key to success is who's going to match up against Gerald Everett and the rest of the Chargers tight ends. Yeah, and I think the reason we're talking about that is because, it, you know, Keenan Allen's coming off of an injury. It looks like he might be limited this game. He's certainly questionable on their injury report. Mike Williams hasn't been able to get going very much, and we're assuming that Tariq Woolen's going to be on him, and they're not, they haven't had a ton of success with their outside passing game. Uh, so it, my guess is they're going to be wanting to feed uh, Austin Eckler in the middle and, and focus a little bit more on their tight ends. So matching up against those guys in the middle of the field is going to be a big deal. Yeah, and number four... Get Walker rolling. We need to feed Walker touches. I want to see over 20 touches. Yeah, look, I mean, he, you know, we, we got him going pretty well last week, uh, especially late in the game. The, the kid's dynamic. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he's another one of those guys like Eckler that if he gets the ball in open space, he could take it to the house every single time. Uh, and our offense 
has all, especially in the PKR layer, has always been predicated off the run. If we can get him going, we can get the passing game going because we'll have the option to do play action pass. Uh, it'll definitely freeze them up a little bit because if we have our tight ends out there in the run game, we can utilize them a little bit more in the passing game, which has really been key for us to get that offense going. Uh, it didn't happen a lot last week, but it, we still utilize the tight ends really well. And I think this is a game where if they if we do that again, they're going to have to focus a little bit more on that interior passing game and give DK a chance on the outside. And our fifth key to success in our five keys to success is clean play. We want to see good ball security and limit those penalties. Yeah, that's been the big thing that's kind of held us up, uh, especially on offense through the first six weeks of the season is just penalties negating big plays. Happened a couple of times last week against Arizona. Uh, you know, as, as good as Walker looked, he could have had even better of a stat line uh, had we not had a couple of those big plays negated because of holding or uh, or you know blocks in the back, we need to clean that up a little bit. Uh, not uh, put our offense in the in the in the hole where they have to start making up yards again. Uh, but also on defense, I mean we need we need to make sure and limit it on defense because they've got guys that can easily draw penalties. Yeah, and now we're gonna go rapid fire. Let's look at the position matchups between the LA Chargers and the Seattle Seahawks quarterback. I mean, Herbert hasn't really gotten things. Herbert's one of those guys. I think you know he's he's been called a top five quarterback in the league, but he hasn't really got it going. I'm going to give it to Gino. All right, I actually gave it to Herbert because I think Herbert has a higher floor right now. If those ribs are bugging him, Gino's going to have a bigger impact. I think Herbert is a better quarterback, running back. Uh, yeah, I got to give it to Eckler. I mean, he he's just done it for so long, and the man is just dynamic. I think Kenneth Walker will pretty soon be one of those guys that's a top five, top 10 running back in this league, but he's still, you know, he's a rookie. So I got to give it to Eckler. I'm right there with you. Walker is a running back of the future. Eckler is at his prime right now. I got to give it to Eckler. Wide receiver. Uh, this is, I think, is this is this is a toss up. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I think uh, DK's obviously had a little bit of a better year than Mike Williams, but those are both big, fast guys on the outside uh, that are big plays waiting to happen. Uh, I, you know, I think uh, DK and and or sorry, Tyler and Keenan Allen are pretty good facsimiles of each other. They're both really good route runners with really good hands, uh, but they're both questionable this week. They could be limited. Um, their depth chart is a little bit thinner, obviously with, with uh, Palmer out, who is their other outside receiver. So, you know, I might just, yeah, I'm going to give it to the Seahawks, but just by a little bit, because uh, Eskridge and Goodwin sold something last week, so. I give it to the Seahawks. With Keenan Allen, questionable, coming off of injury, they only have three healthy wide receivers outside of Keenan Allen. Uh, how about the tight end group? I think we have a better tight end core. Gerald Everett knows our system and could be scary. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, uh, this is a different defensive scheme than Everett faced uh, during practices when he was with us last year. Uh, and he hasn't really been a big factor in their passing game. So yeah, I'll give it to the Seahawks. As do I. The offensive line, I also give to the Seahawks. I do like players on the Chargers offensive line. But with Slater being hurt, I have to push that to the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, we certainly, I think our, our tackles kind of put it over the edge. They've got a great center, and I think their interior offensive line has been playing a little bit better. But yeah, I'll give it to, I'll give it to our guys. Uh, defensive line. Ooh, if, if, if Bosa was healthy, I'd give it to them. But Bosa's on IR. They, they just have Khalil Mack as the only big name on their defensive line right now, and he hasn't really been a big factor this and year. He's a linebacker. I always kind of group those together in the three, four. Uh, but yeah, either way, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to our D line, our front guys. I also give it to our defensive line. 
especially with a healthy Al Woods. How about those linebackers, though? Look, I think Nwosu's had a better year than Mac, uh, so I'll give it to our guys. Like I said, uh, Khalil Mack hasn't really been a big factor. I'm with Bosa out. I'll, I'll give it to us, but only by a hair. Um, I give it to the Chargers. Um, I like Vanoy. I like Mac. I like Tranquil. I think they're all playing at a higher level than our linebackers at the moment. So I give it to the Chargers. Defensive backs. Uh, they've certainly got the money on their side for sure. They've got a lot of big name guys. You know, J.C. Jackson, I think, was the biggest offseason signing at cornerback this year. Asante Samuel Jr., uh, you know, Derwin James. I like our guys going forward. If Jamal Adams was still healthy, it would be a little bit closer, but I got to give it to the Chargers. Right there with you. Love our guys. I'm giving it to the Chargers, though. I think we can both agree our special teams is heads and tails above theirs, plus their kicker is out. Yeah, their starting kicker is out. And as far as I I know, uh, Michael Dixon's still our punter. So, <laughs> Exactly. The same argument every week. All right. Here we go. What's your prediction for the game? You know, the betting line right now is, I think the over-under is 50 points. I don't see it being that high scoring of a game. The Chargers have been pretty limited in their offense so far this year. I know they're getting Keenan Allen back. That might be a difference maker, but I'm looking to this this to stay pretty close. My guess is it's going to be a lower scoring game. I'm going to go 23 to 17 Seahawks. All right. Ours is actually pretty close. I think we're not going to be on that high scoring like the Lions game. I agree with you. I say 23 for Seattle. 21 for the Chargers, and our defense stops them on a late drive to get a game-winning field goal. I'm, I'm looking for a turnover. I'd love to see. I'd love to see Woolen keep it going and and getting getting to number five, you know five weeks in a row. So I'd like to see a turnover in the secondary to kind of limit them. Uh, but yeah, I, I I agree. It's going to be a close game. And thank you for listening to the Let's Talk Seahawks podcast. As always, go Hawks. Go Hawks.